at 7 p.m., please bring your picnics, blankets, and lawn chairs, but no outside alcohol or glass containers, please. There is food, wine, and beer available for purchase. Don't miss the Tauntauns and Say Girl Say on October 4th at Discovery Green. For more details, visit discoverygreen.com, presented in part by KPFT Houston 90.1 FM. This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, 
poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. Welcome to another installment of the Latino Literary Renaissance. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Tony Diaz, a Libre Traficante, joined by the whole crew. Of course, next to me in la cabina is our friend Nata. Thanks Hi. for joining us. Of course. We haven't given you a Libro Traficante name yet, have we? I need one. We'll have to work on that. Yeah. And this is Tony, El Libro Traficante. Very happy that you're joining us tonight. We have a lot to report about from last week and even more coming up next week. But I do want to give a shout out to La Otra Gente en la Cabina. Uh, say hi, Joe Anthony. Hi, this is Joe Anthony. Hi, this is, this is Letty. Fantastic, and we appreciate your help in putting a great lineup together for tonight. We'll be talking to Ashley Clemmer from the Rothko Chapel, which is a big institution in Houston, Texas, and internationally known. And another major institution will be spoken about by Richard Rodriguez Jr. I said that funny, Richard Rodriguez. Junior, who is an advocate for the arts community and economic development for the East End. He's also involved with different community organizations and a musician. So see, parents, if your kids enjoy art, they can become business people, too. And then we'll be hearing the music of Azul Barrientos throughout the show. So we're bringing you the soundtrack to a revolution as well as intellectual insights about art and culture. And in the soapbox, we have to talk about the reading yesterday with Jose Antonio Vargas. It was so Not, good. Was it good? I mean, it I'm prejudiced, so, so good. I'm biased. It, I mean, it was it was excellent. I really appreciated hearing him speak. He's clearly a really good writer from the way that he talks. He's so engaging, and he focused on a few points that are still with me. You know, one of the things that he mentioned was the importance of changing the narrative around undocumented citizens and speaking out so that people know that he's there and what contributions he's making to society and that we're talking about it wrong. He also asked, you know, teachers of undocumented citizens or friends or employees of undocumented citizens to step up too and participate in the changing of that narrative. I think that that was a really valuable point, one of many that he that he made. Which I think is unique because... I think folks who are championing the cause or helping, like you alluded to, uh, undocumented students, are doing a lot. So they're, yeah. think, they're thinking they're involved. But it seems that in this moment, they have to go an extra step and mm. even more, which was a great call to, to action. I also want to thank a lot of the folks that we collaborated with. It's a long list. So it was great to team up with Brazos Bookstore. Talento Bilingue to Houston. We want to thank the Mexican American Bar Association of Houston for donating admissions. We had uh, also help from the show right after us, Coming to America. So we'll make sure at the end to thank Gordon and Jose for their support. And then also Dangerous Goods. Larry from Dangerous Goods also came through as well. And mm-hmm. because of their support, also want to thank the Mexican American Bar Association of Houston as well as the other partner, the Mayor's Hispanic Advisory Board Arts Committee, mm-hmm. which also helps support. But through the donations, we had students there from Lone Star College, oh, nice. Bel Air High School, 
Yes, Prep White Oak. And we also had a presence of uh, Cristo Rey. So I, I talked to some of the students today, and they were still on an intellectual adrenaline rush from yeah, yesterday. It was one of those talks where you will remember it if you're a youth or if you're a grown person like myself. I mean, those are empowering words. I highly recommend, if you haven't read Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen by Jose Antonio Vargas, that you pick it up. He also talked about a project that they're involved with called... Define America. Define America. And it's a collaborative that gets consulted by Hollywood when important shows or, or when shows like Jane the Virgin was an example that he gave feature a story about an undocumented person, citizen, and that they, they get consulted about it and, and in, so that the stories are real. And that was that was cool. What a, what a cool project. Well, and, and I think... On top of it, that does break the master narrative the way the book does, the way he, he instructed mm -hmm. us to, because it says tell the story authentic to the community versus the easy stereotypes that you've gotten away with, which is good for everyone. But he does that with the book, too, in the way it's structured. It's not your typical Bildungsroman or memoir. Not that I have anything anything <laughs> against those genres. Careful. But, <laughs> but I think – Typically, when we imagine stories from our communities or from the immigrant community, that they will fit neatly into those genres. But they're part of the – those genres themselves are part of the master narrative where this, the Bildungsroman only matters when it is someone from the elite, documented, and so forth. And there's so many stories that our community has written that have been ignored. I think it's fascinating that he then – turns memoir on its head with his approach because he combines all these elements just to say that you'll enjoy the book. Yeah. It's deep, but it's also doing some sophisticated uh, actions and gestures to, to really do that change in the master narrative as I hope we've been contributing to over this, this long haul. Can I say one more cool yeah, thing that he said? I mean, I, I wish we could forget. talk about the book another hour. <laughs> but he, he talked about how there's, I think, 250 million migrants in the globe, including 44 million in the United States. And his point was that we should rethink that narrative and what the significance of that is. And while he didn't advocate for open borders, which maybe I'll debate him about that someday, he did say <laughs> we've got that five it, shows lined up. It, now. <laughs> show, it shows that it's natural. And part of the reason that it's natural is because people come from places that we went into and did something to like the Philippines is his home country. And that was an example, you know, America was there and it's true. It's very real to think about, you know, the relationship between Mexico and Estados Unidos that changed with NAFTA and to expect that that wouldn't affect the dynamic of migration when we did something to provoke that is sort of absurd and was a really beautiful and valuable point. Man, I'm going to resist. However, I can't ignore the fact that just today then, President Trump told the UN that oh my God. we must the US must protect its sovereignty and will not sign any accords that have to do about about global migration. He's arguing with Jose Antonio Vargas saying that nope, we're just gonna build our island exactly like you alluded to and Jose alluded to. I, I mean he's what did Trump's Trump's actually said every country should be made great again and it, it sounds like maybe he's getting ready for reparations. Maybe he says, hey, we're going to give reparations to Central and South America for all the crimes committed by the School of the Americas. I'm just reading into what he said. But otherwise, he's completely negating what, what Jose Antonio Vargas had said yesterday, 
which is ironic. Of course, you can listen to the podcast of our interview with Jose Antonio Vargas if mm. you go to hashtag MP Radio or hashtag HughLatinxArt. The digital copy is also preserved at the University of Houston Digital Archives. Our hard copies, and we'll donate one of the books too, will go to the Houston Public Library Hispanic Collections. And I also interviewed him for a special interview for The Other Side TV, which you can either watch on Houston Cable Access or by going to the I'm sorry, going to the other side TV.com. We do have a, a little time to squeeze in some other issues, including uh, we talked about uh, Donald Trump. There were those debates that are uh. that one last week and are going on uh, tomorrow. Yeah, another one tomorrow in Houston, right? In Houston. Yeah. So I guess the protest is going on. So there'll be protesters there, obviously. <laughs> are you going to protest, Tony? Uh, of course, I'm trying to find out where the best way to, to, to get into the protest would be. Um, and a lot of people are trying to do it. But security is massive, and they're of being course. very, very stringent on who gets in this. So I think it's going to be a low show. Because I, th- I don't think uh, the Cruz campaign wants the rest of the country to see that his supposed hometown doesn't vote for him right. or love him. Again, this is a nonprofit radio station. I am not telling you who to vote for. I'm merely pointing out facts, observable facts and data. So, and uh, exercising my freedom of speech to say that I'm protesting. But but, uh, any thoughts on the debates? Well, I just, an interesting piece of news that came out today was actually that um, Cruz got uh, some protests himself when he was out to dinner with his wife. And the news was that Beto O'Rourke actually texted I'm sorry, tweeted about that, saying that the family deserves to be treated with respect while they're having dinner. So I think it's interesting. They are trying to show a lot of civility in the context of the debate and elevate their issues rather than, you know, personal attacks. So we'll see how long that lasts. That's not, you know, traditionally something that lasts throughout the entirety of a campaign. I I did want to see more fireworks. (laughs) I've seen... I've seen Beto Rock be the Texas gentleman that he is. Mm. Uh, I, I, I thought I thought Cruz was trying to get under his skin. And, well, we said open borders. That's basically a stereotype. Open borders is all about GOP closing minds. Let's practice saying that. Oh, there's no such thing as open borders. It's not a platform. We can, we can talk about what it might mean, but there's not a platform for it. It's not a political movement. I haven't seen it as a campaign. We could have an intellectual dialogue about what that consists of, but right now it's not on any political platform. The Republicans are saying that to make it sound as if uh, Mexicans are overrunning the country. So whenever I hear the word open borders as a stance for Beto O'Rourke, it's the GOP closing people's minds. But you heard you heard Ted Cruz say things like they're coming to take your guns away, mm. <laughs> um, uh, th- that they're open borders. And those are stereotypes that I think need to be addressed or yelled back at. But I see kind of better being uh, civilized about it. I, I do Too believe nice, he won. Think? I do believe he won. I mm. think he's, I'd love to see him go for the jugular personally. What are your thoughts? My thoughts. I watched. I watched, heard, and then watched that that uh, debate, and I was particularly disturbed on how Cruz was just. He jumped right in there with like um, the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment. There was no problems with it, and that you know the only shouts after that happened was from the crowd at SMU. SMU, and um, and then 
my other question was just like, yes, I remember that Santa Fe thing. I was right. I was that was right by my house. I left my house. No one asked him. So how many houses you got, Ted? <laughs> how many houses? Because you know that they have to have like more than one house. He doesn't necessarily reside in Houston or Galveston, which supposedly is hometown. Uh, also. I mean, uh, his whole take on immigrants, illegal is illegal. Actually, we've got immigration lawyers coming around. You know, uh, mm-hmm. illegal is not illegal. It is. I mean, there's still due process. Yep, absolutely. Amnesty, save, saving women from getting beat up in other countries. We hope. We hope. Right. So, actually, he's wrong. So, either he doesn't know the law or he's stereotyping or he doesn't like Hispanics. So, <laughs> I'd like to – I'd. I'm hoping someone – if you are listening now – they're not going to let me in. I'm trying to get in there. <laughs> um, I want to ask them. This is what you should ask them. One, I've yet to hear Ted Cruz say he's proud to be Hispanic. I've yet to hear him say he's proud to be Cuban-American. I'm, I'm going to put something else out there. I also, I want to know if he put down Hispanic when he applied to Princeton. I'll bet you he did. I'll bet you when he applied to Princeton... He wrote down Hispanic. And and it matters in that you want to benefit from the label, yet you turn your back on issues for the community that are associated with it. That is not honest. So I'd like to see where he stands on this. And if you can get into that debate, they're not going to let me in there. <laughs> I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> I want you to ask that. We'll, we'll give you the final word we're not. We're, we're out of soapbox. Any, any thought? Any final thoughts on the not about the debate, debate. coming up? What's happening on October third, Tony? Thank you so much. Wednesday, October third at ten a.m. I will be delivering the two thousand eighteen report on the state of Houston Latinx art, especially after the NALAC report, which quantified that we get one percent of state funding mm-hmm. and seven percent of city funding. Everyone wants to change that. We want to give at least the status of where the Latinx art is now, but that's going to be an annual report as well. Thanks for asking about that. That'll be Wednesday, October 3rd at Talento Bilingue de Houston and every year after that. Excellent. Can't wait. So we'll take a musical break and we'll be back talking about Rothko Chapel. Thanks for tuning in to Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. La 
luz se adelantó Trepando montañas fui y perdí la tentación Thank you so much for tuning in to Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. Maybe you're re-listening to this on podcast. You can catch more of those at nuestrapalabra.org or we're tweeting them out and posting them. Perhaps you're listening to this from the digital archives at the University of Houston. Or maybe you're reading the transcripts, which would wind up in our hard copy collection at the public library either way thank you for joining us in making history and right now i want to talk to ashley clemmer about the rothko chapel which really is a, a wonderful landmark in houston texas that folks from all around the world recognize but also it's in our own community you can walk by if you haven't heard about it we'll tell you why it's so important but also if you haven't been back there in a while you gotta go so thanks for coming yeah thank you so much i'm really happy to be here so i'm not exaggerating the folks come from all over the world don't they they do you know these days we have about a hundred and ten thousand people who come through the doors of the chapel over the course wow. of the year um I should have all of these numbers and statistics right off at the top of my head, and I don't, but I think it's something like over 40 countries uh, are represented. I think the majority of people outside the United States come from Mexico, and then I think maybe France is the next one in line. Um, and it's kind of a, a mixture of people that, mm. that come through the doors that range from um, individuals who 
uh, are familiar with Mark Rothko, the artist whose work is inside the chapel, and actually he really conceptualized the entire environment to people who uh, consider themselves very spiritual in nature and are uh, on a pilgrimage or see this as a, a very uh, spiritual, sacred space uh, to individuals who are um, followers of, of architecture and are familiar with Philip Johnson, who's the original architect. Um, so it, it's a lot of things, I think, for a lot of different people. That's great. And, and actually, I'm sure people just walk by and think it's a beautiful a beautiful sight as well, too, especially because mm-hmm. it's so ingrained in our community, which is so cool. And it's, for, for those who are listening that aren't really familiar, it's located in the Montrose community, wedged right in between the University of St. Thomas and the Manil Collection. Um, and so it's one of those really interesting areas where you just walk down the road or you think you're just in a neighborhood and all of a sudden here's this like world renowned architecture and sculptures, uh, no signage like what you would normally find if you're going through a museum district right. or something. Yeah. So it has a very different feel. Outside of the chapel also we have Barnett Newman's Broken Obelisk, which is a, um, a an amazing sculpture that's dedicated to the Reverend Dr. King as well. And, and I think that's so Houston in that I, we like to take friends there because they have a certain stereotype of what Houston could be mm-hmm. and that shatters it and, mm-hmm. and it's exciting as well. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked people into going back, but you've got some great programming coming up as well. We do. So again, for those who are listening who aren't familiar, the chapel is a place and it's also um, a convener. It's a we, we make the space available for significant passages of life, like weddings, memorials, in case you didn't know. We make it available to, for different religious communities who want to have a, a service there. Mm-hmm. And then we offer a series of public programs that are open to the public uh, that sit at the intersection of art, spirituality, and human rights. So it's really quite vast, and it ranges from music concerts to um, dance to... Um, meditations and mindful practices on the plaza and inside to a variety of different um, human rights related programs, including a, um, uh, a human rights award that we give every two years. And I remember there was caravan coming from Mexico. That was a right. stop there. Yeah, incredible. Uh, cardinals from other countries have come mm-hmm. who have been um, civil rights activists. So, mm-hmm. so you're right. That's a great way to put it. It's a convener of all these different strands. Mm-hmm. And I think justice. it's, um, it, it, it's one of the few places that really is open to, to all people, all religions or none. And I think it becomes a, a safe space to really bring up people of different backgrounds mm-hmm. and belief systems together to be able to speak in the first person and, um, uh, and to enter into dialogues that maybe would be more difficult to, if you're in a different type of environment. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. Very Houston. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. So we have um, a lot of things coming up here at the chapel. Uh, I'll just highlight a, a couple. We have a series that we've been doing since 2005 called 12 Moments Experiencing Spiritual and Faith Traditions. It's always the first Wednesday of the month from 12 to 1. Uh, we have it while the chapel is still open, so people can just wander in and out, or you can go for the practice. And for this, we work with different spiritual and religious communities all over the city, and it's an opportunity to highlight. Uh, we talk about the diversity of Houston all the time. This mm-hmm. is, I think, a real way to to get to learn about uh, many of the different communities around the city, to learn about the different spiritual and faith practices, Mm -hmm. and then to actually root it in a practice. So a lot of this is universal, and it 
uh, provides both educational and experiential to engage in some kind of practice that you can then incorporate into your own life. So for this year, what we're doing is each month we're identifying a different topic that really binds us in our, our shared humanity. So looking at um, topics such as uh, resilience, difference, forgiveness, justice, renewal. And so for October, we've invited Rabbi Dan Gordon from Temple Beth Torah um, out in Umble to come uh, lead us in a practice that will be uh, focused on uh, difference specifically. Mm. And people can just show up or? People can show up. We, for all of our programs, we invite people to register. And since it's offered during the day, there's, it's a little bit more flexibility mm. in terms of the space, but registration is always helpful just to make sure we have enough benches mm. and uh, cushions out. That sounds nice, especially, uh, I guess I take it for granted that people know what the chapel looks like inside, but it is very um, calming and soothing inside. Uh, I mean, it is a work of art inside mm -hmm. there. So it'd be wonderful to be able to reflect on this. And I think also a lot of our programs we offer in the evening, and this is one of the few programs that we offer during the day. And I think what makes that special is that the when the chapel was designed, uh, a big component is the natural skylight because Mark Rothko mm -hmm. wanted his art to be viewed in natural light. And so for those of you who have come to the chapel, depending on the time of day you come and the time of year, you're going to have a very different experience mm. in terms of what the paintings look like and how the space feels. Mm. And so by coming for a program like this, you're able to wow. actually see that light in the space and see how it changes over time. That's beautiful. Which I think is really special. And yeah. that will change each month, the topic. That's right. Each month will change. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, we also have um, a series for many years now. We've... Um, We've observed significant days of, of observance, like International Day of Peace, which we just celebrated this past Friday. The next will be World AIDS Day on December. Um, and then we have a series called Experiencing the Transformative Power of Art, which really ranges. Um, again, we just worked with uh, the Moody Center for the Arts at Rice University, and we had members from the Silk Road Ensemble come and perform a concert inside the chapel, which was mm. pure magic. Mm. And then the next program we're going to highlight is called Open Letters, and it's uh, we're working with an artist named Mark Menejavar. And it's uh, presented in collaboration with an exhibition that is at the Contemporary Arts Museum that's really looking at, it's a program called, or an exhibition called Walls Turned Sideways, Artists Confront the Justice System. So this, this special program that Mark is presenting inside the chapel is going to really look at, um, uh, it's going to be a conversation around uh, the death penalty. Wow. KPFT is all about that, though. So we'll make sure to let the other programmers know, too. Because, of course, we preempt uh, broadcasts when they're actually completing executions at um, Huntsville mm -hmm. so that people can hear exactly as it proceeds. And we offer up our time only because we want people to know that this is still going on. So that's not like a great opportunity to reflect on this going on, especially yeah. in Texas. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So some hardcore topics too. Yeah, so. yeah, and it really ranges. And then the the final thing I'll just highlight is for the next year, we're really focusing on climate change. So in the spring, we will have a symposium that'll be three days. So I just want to put that on everyone's radar. And we'll tell Brian Paras all about that because he's a big time uh, environmental activist. So okay. Can I you can. give out the website? I can. It's rothcochapel.org.
Fantastic. Well, yeah. thank you so much for stopping by and keeping us posted. And yeah, we're hoping that uh, some of our listeners will take advantage of that. I know we will. So Okay, I hope so. Thank you. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you. Now, wish you continued success and thanks for all the work that you do. Thank you. You are experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. We're going to take a short musical interlude and then we'll be back with Rich Rodriguez Jr. Stay tuned. Welcome back, listeners. We're here with Richard Rodriguez, Jr., and I'm just going to tell you a little bit about him. He's from the East End, a native to Magnolia Park. He graduated from Milby High School over here in Houston. Over the last several years, Mr. Rodriguez has led his expertise and knowledge of local government by serving as Deputy Executive Director of the Harrisburg Redevelopment Authority and serving on the board at TBH, Talente Bilingue Houston. So um, tell us... Richard, welcome to the show, and we're excited to have you and talk to you. Well, thanks for ab- having me. About your work and yeah, it's it's a it's a different thing. Most people don't know about all these kind of subgroups that the city has that are very crucial to the development and resource uh, allocation to communities. You know, so there's these tax increment reinvestment zones. That sounds like a really interesting long term for uh, for a project. Then there's municipal management districts. So I'm trying to say is besides the city. Besides the county, there are other organizations that are very crucial to the economic development and well-being of communities because whether you get sidewalks in your community, whether you have a community that has ditches rather than sidewalks, you know, those resources, it's no surprise that when you go to certain parts of the city, they're, I guess, more affluent. 
they have certain a lot of these yeah. things, mm-hmm. amenities. When you come to certain other Asian communities, like in the East End, you don't see that. Yeah. So and that's a, a large part of because the, the the local populace, the citizenry, doesn't know how to advocate to their local city government about getting those things done. So that's kind of where I'm at right now in my phase of my career. Having done that, I'm taking going from that leading those organizations to trying to lead the community and trying to procure those resources. And I think that's great, too, because I'm pretty sure that most of the, not just artists, but also the directors of art groups and nonprofits who are from the community are not familiar with some of those vehicles. Uh, We hear about the terrors all the time, but we don't understand, perhaps, or or advocate directly to turn that into um, funds that help the community, especially we've been talking about Houston Latinx art. So it's great that you're putting yeah. it on the radar to see yeah. how that works. And what does it look like, your involvement? I mean, you said you're not a member of the government. So how does it look? How does that relationship play out? And, and how do you do the advocacy you're talking about? Well, it's a lot of it is just, uh, frankly, a lot of day-to-day hustle uh, and really organizing, putting myself out there to all these community organizations to try to show my inherent value in, in trying to promote their own mission. But to that point, uh, what you were saying, you know, the, you know, it's very, um, you have a very unique opportunity in the East End these days because a TERS typically doesn't go into, you don't have them in these kind of communities. Although these, they were created to be in these kind of communities to help revitalize them and reinvigorate them. They've shown up in downtown, in Upper Kirby, in places that are already doing pretty well, I don't see why they need <laughs> they're vital already. Yeah. Yeah, why they need additional revenue, right? And that's been some of the argument, both in the legislature and locally, uh, against uh, the creation of these vehicles. But now that we have one in the East End, I think it's very important that the larger community understand what they are and what their potential is, because they really could not only reinvigorate the area, they also have the opportunity of changing it too fast mm. to where we lose our cultural preservation of what that area really represents. And, and, and what I'll put in there, too, is especially if we don't have seats at the table. Exactly. Or, no, this is coming up. I didn't mean to. No, I just – so I'm a resident of the East End. I just bought a house <laughs> there. And I, what is a TERS? And okay. also, how do I advocate for myself when, say, yeah. after Harvey, the garbage didn't come uh, for six weeks? Well, I'll give you a real quick synopsis of yeah. it. Essentially, the city – draws a boundary line and says, you know, this street to this street, this street to this street. This is now TERS number whatever, 23, let's say. So that's the East End, which is primarily Second Ward and, and Magnolia Park. And say the city says, okay, I'm making these numbers up. Let's say we rebring in now $40 million a year in revenue. But we know the area has potential to, to be worth more. So what we're going to do is create a board of directors that is man- that is appointed by the mayor and then administered by, say, someone like myself or another firm. And... Every dollar that comes in over the next 30 years over that $40 million is going to go to you and that board to administer back into the community. So if you fast forward five years, and it was originally $40 million, now it's $45 million. The mm-hmm. city still gets their 40 The extra five goes to the board to redistribute it back, right? And decide how it's applied. Yeah. So what, that, what do you do with that money? You can incentivize development by saying, hey, don't build a hotel there. Build here. We'll build your infrastructure for you. We can get you tax abatements. You know, you can start... Using that money to incentivize additional de- development, the idea being that that $40 million threshold continues to grow and grow. So when we give it back to the city, it's no longer worth $40 million, It's worth two or three, $400 million. And, and let me guess, probably the theory somewhere, too, was that, that people locally then have flexibility to direct 
like you're saying, projects. I think or, that's what it originally was intended to be. You want local people. They know what it, not only uh, what works, but what they want and what they need and what they want to see, right? But uh, the, it ain't gone that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it did not quite work out yeah, that way. Right. The argument is, you know, there are a lot of insiders, and they meet in the middle of the day. So how do people participate? So. Uh, I just think it's it's very important that the general community understand how these kind of vehicles work so they can be engaged. No, by all means. Yeah. Exactly. And, and know how that works and, right. and know that it's there. The other thing I want to put there, too, is you bring that sensibility, that business viewpoint. But you are a musician. And, right. and I right. admire that. More so, too, that you've been donating instruments to kids right. that need them, too. So tell us what you play and tell us yeah. what you've been doing to make sure other kids can have access to that. Right, absolutely. Well, see, so, you know, growing up in the East End, uh, I was kind of fortunate to uh, actually be classically trained. I actually am a cellist. You know, I've been playing the cello since I was 11 years old, mostly because I lived in Pasadena for a little while, so I got that in the schools. But when I come back to Houston, they don't have that available. Wow. So I was always that always really bothered me. Uh, luckily, I, I had... Taken to the instrument well enough to where I got into the Houston Youth Symphony, so I was able to pursue it. Mm-hmm. But I always thought, you know, if I could go back to my old community and give those kids an opportunity, I'd like to do that because I saw the value, in, you know, the cognitive development that it's kind of given me, and I think other kids who, who play. Well, music. man, it turned into a businessman. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, yeah, when I was in the Air Force for some time, I was in the Air Force for a few years. I started a violin shop in a small town in North Dakota that was uh, had a monopoly, and kids weren't really. Uh, a, a music shop that had a monopoly over the populace, and there wasn't a lot of uh, competition. So I, I procured a hundred violins and uh, started my own business there. Pretty much took all the business. And when I came back to Houston, those violins came with me. <laughs> and uh, to my wife's uh, dismay, you know, they're under every bed, under the closet. So she's like, "What are you gonna do with these things?" So um, two years ago, I donated, uh, I think it was twenty-five instruments to Baker Ripley, over in the Gulfton area. And then this last year, I donated 21, I believe it was, to uh, to TBH. And I'm, I'm planning on doing more, you know, Mecca and some other groups that are out there. So w- when you repair them, then that has to do with just not just the beauty, aesthetics, but also the sound. So yeah. Uh, so can you help kids get? Do you help kids get instruments that sound amazing? Yeah, then? that's exactly the, the difference. between why I went into that community originally that I mentioned. See, they were selling these kids. Uh, what are cheaply made instruments that, you know, basically you're giving them like plywood and you're trying to make a good tone. And it's so important to have that positive feedback when you're just starting to learn an instrument. You go through the screechy period, right? So if it sounds terrible, you're never going to play it. So what I, the ones I commissioned were all tone wood instruments, maple, spruce, really well made. And the schools in that local community saw their uh, people coming back for music training almost double because people were getting it. They were feeling it. They were able to get that positive reinforcement. So it's, it's cool to talk with Chicanos like this. This is cool. This it's, is a weird dichot- it's a weird dichotomy that we give the hardest instruments in the world <laughs> to beginners to play and the easiest ones in the, in the world to the professionals. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And then also tell us about the, the what you've done with the YM, YWCA. Yeah, the YWCA. YWCA uh, so there's this old building, YWCA, built in 1962 off of navigation. And... Um, you know, sitting there for five years, where an owner who had it wasn't really doing much with it. So myself and my cousin uh, Magnolia Grown Jesse, he's a local community artist, approached him and said, "You know, we'd really like to get this place revitalized for the community." And after we explained our, uh, you know, our efforts, he said, "Well, that's going to take a lot of time, energy, and money." I said, "Well, we have a lot of time and energy." And after he stopped laughing, he goes, "Well, you know what? Let's do it." So he's put over five hundred thousand dollars of rehabilitation into the center. Great guy, David Duthu. He really. Deserves all the accolades, 
And we were able to have an art gallery in Magnolia Park, the first one. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, we had a lot of great people come by. Cheech Marin, as you know, came down, uh, mm-hmm. commissioned three works from my cousin, who's doing his museum in Riverside. So it's really been taken off on a life of its own. That's exciting. Yeah. That really is exciting. And uh, Magnolia Grown's really talented. By the way, we interview him on one of our spots for the Other Side TV. So if you go to Other Side TV and watch episode two, he speaks on there about the importance of, of art. And you're also involved with Hala. Houston right. Arts right. Latinx Alliance. Hello. Hello. <laughs> well, that, that speaks a lot to um, the other common issue, which is obviously equity in arts funding, and really to my personal view on how um, the city to date has kind of missed the boat in relation to um, vision on the quality of what, not quality, but the benefits of public art funding. You know, if you go around the country, whether it's the Run Arts District in Denver, Wynwood in Miami, or in LA, those cities and communities have proven out that investment in public art results in valuation, you know, increasing valuation. And that's the whole point of TERS and other economic development vehicles, right? So that should be, to my view, the tip of the spear for the approach, especially in the East End. Plus, it gives work to mm-hmm. the artists, help legitimize their craft. They should be thought of the same as engineers and architects, as far as I'm concerned, as far as development yeah. goes. You talked me into it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I am going to send you a, a rough draft of the, um, the the 2018 State of Latinx Art just to kind of get your take and include right. some of that. So Yeah. Uh, so I just, I'm trying to contribute any way I can, and uh, hopefully we can uh, we can move the powers that be towards uh, progressive resolutions that will not only give us more equity in the funding, but also give the city a more progressive approach on how this yeah. is not just a handout. This is a way forward, an Love innovative it. way forward to Love make it. more value in the yeah. city. Well, fantastic. Well, hey, thank you for all that you do. Thanks for coming out and uh, keep us posted. Thanks for having me. Appreciate no, by it. all means. By all means. You listen to Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. And next up, to close out the show, we'll be talking and listening to Azul Barrientos. Ya no puedo vivir sin tu amor No me digas que voy a perderte No me quieras matar corazón Yo que diera por no recordarte Yo que diera por no ser de ti Pero el día en que te dije te quiero Te di mi cariño y no supe de mi corazón, corazón, no me quieras matar, corazón, 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 no me quieras matar, corazón, si has pensado dejar mi cariño recuerda el camino donde te encontré si has pensado cambiar tu destino recuerda un poquito a esta mujer si después de sentir tu pasado te miras de frente y me dices adiós te diré con el mano que puedes marcharte y que yo me voy corazón 
Welcome back. We were just listening to Azul Barrientos. Uh, she's a musician originally from Mexico City who now lives in San Antonio. And um, that was her that we were just listening to. That was beautiful. And I believe she's on the phone. Is that you, Azul? Yeah, I'm right here. And you're also the artist in residence at one of my favorite spots in the world, the Esperanza Peace and Justice Center. Yes. Please. I'm so happy to hear oh that. My, no, send all our love to our familia over there. Yo les digo, thank you so much. Por favor. And thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to call in. T- tell us what you're working on. So your residency, what does it consist of? So we have a monthly show called uh, Noche Azul. And in this show, we um, showcase different aspects of um, of what makes sometimes or what, what we make of uh, our culture, you know? And it could be from uh, music genres to icons to um, to our very beloved Frida. You know, it depends on, on when where we are and what sort of like part of the year it is. And we just celebrate different partecitas de nuestra cultura. Que lindo. No, that, that's fantastic. And at the same time, you're giving back to the culture, but you're also celebrating your new album, Nuestro Corazón. Tell us a little about that. I'm super happy and excited to finally, you know, come to this um, closure of, 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 of the moment where we, you know, it's, it's como dar a luz, no? It's, it's almost like a birth because after... So much planning, so much. Uh, it was really um, three years that we put in, and finally to see to see it out, to hear it out, is is just a beautiful thing. And it's uh, also interesting for us to present something that is not, um, or for me, I, I, I should say, to present something that is not one genre, that is something uh, that has. Um, very indigenous roots that has um, very Mexican roots that has a little bit of me in general and different musicians that are absolutely amazing um, stars of San Antonio and also beloved musicians from here. And we were playing some of that at the top so our listeners could hear your gorgeous voice. When we're done chatting, we're going to make sure to leave enough time to play uh, another track from the album which one would you pick and tell us a little something about the the title and, and what it means to you absolutely i would pick uh the serpientes which is the next one and um that song is one of my songs and it's a song about um it has a lot of almost like a like a like a south american like you, you can feel it more of a like a south american feel yes but also very Mexican um, inspired in um, in like a love affair, but almost like a like a dreamlike love affair where you know you have pyramids and you have all of these legends kind of mixed together, and and not only of one culture but of many cultures, and that's kind of how the serpientes was born. Qué bonito. Now, now, do you go into the song knowing those are the moods you want to hit, and then you play together to get the the right music, or or oh, no. is it? Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. Cuéntanos just, un poco de eso, yeah. 
No, no, no. I usually just start by, you know, playing. I, uh, for example, I hear something and I and I like it. You know, years ago, for example, I, I was listening to a Brazilian um, Brazilian music, and I was just kind of like going over, you know, a little thing that I learned on the guitar, and then that transformed into something else, and you know, some breakup or something, and then I was just playing along with like, oh. You know, you left me or something, and then something else is born from a from a within, and and all of a sudden you find yourself in the zone, and you just you know things just come out. And I think for me, it's not until after that I realize like where I was grabbing parts of what I'm of, of the meaning of the song from. Does that make any sense? <laughs> no, it, it, it does. I mean, I think uh, especially as as writers or poets. It could be a similar process, but right. but you're translating it into actually beca- turning it into music that people can can identify with, which I sí, think. Me imagino que es lo mismo, right? Ex- claro, but I think the advantage you have is that more people can understand the music, and I feel like we're a little limited by the language. Maybe, maybe I'm. Maybe you're like, man, those ro- poets and writers have it easy. No sé. <laughs> <laughs> No, eh, como el don que del don que tienes, yo creo que toca más corazones. And I think that is the beautiful thing about your music. It, it it's influenced by many cultures, but it can be taken in by gente que habla español no habla español. Is that fair to say? Absolutely, absolutely. It's like yeah. two two ways to communicate the sound and the words. It, exactly. Yeah. T- right. To get at that picture you're you're um, you're bringing together. Now, right. now you mentioned some of your musical influences what are, what are some of the other ones as well um some of my influences is that what you is it? yes like styles and instrumentation oh um so in the album for example um this person that we listen to has a lot of um a lot of influence of uh chabela vargas for example i think that she when i first listened to chabela vargas i was a, a teenager and 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 I didn't, you know, I was really into the beauty of the voice. I was really into Ella Fitzgerald and that perfection of sound. And listening to Chavela Vargas for me was a shock, right? I was like, what is this destruction of, of, of um, I don't know, to me it was like a, a voice. Like, how is, why is she doing this? And it took me a little while, and I guess that is maturity, right? So it, it's still taking me a while. Um, but... Eventually, when I, when I, after listening and listening and, and feeling it more than listening, I understood that it's, it's that intimate moment of, of, of heart to heart. You know, she's really having a heart to heart, um, moment with the listener. And it's not for everyone. It's just for, for you, for the person listening. You know, a friend of mine used to say she grabs you by, by the face and kind of pulls you. And sings to your face, Eso. right? And that's, that's kind of what <laughs> I was looking for. That's one of the things that I, I've, I've loved developing throughout the years is is that grabbing and singing to faces, to hearts. Love it. So we are then going to close out with Serpientes, and we're so glad that you're able to give us a little of insights into it. Thank you for all that you do, and thank you so much for calling in, Azul. Al contrario, muchísimas gracias. 
And we'll be closing out with a last selection from Nuestro Corazón. You're experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino Word is Heaven to Say, on the air. We will see you next week. No matter where you are on the political spectrum, KPFT is a daily check-in on the workings of democracy. Part of a democracy is an independent press and media. Media like this is supposed to be the check and balance on government. And community radio is one of the few media outlets left that is completely independent. That's why in this age of the greatest media consolidation America has ever seen, having different voices out there is essential. KPFT has been around since 1970, and we have survived through the contributions of people like you. Listeners who donate to KPFT support us because they know that's what keeps KPFT independent. Why wait for a pledge drive? You can join KPFT online at kpft.org. Thomas Jefferson said, People cannot be both ignorant and free. Help keep KPFT vibrant with your financial contribution. Visit kpft.org to join securely online. This is commercial-free, listener-sponsored Pacifica Radio, KPFT Houston. 
Thousands of you have heeded the call, but there's always room for more. You can find KPFT on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. From our latest updates to funny videos, contests, news, and more, you can find us anytime, day or night. We're at KPFT Houston on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We'd love to give you the latest. Plus, you're already on Facebook. Why not get behind the scenes of Houston's leader for independent music, arts, ideas, and culture right now? Again, find us at KPFT Houston on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. See you there. Bring me